Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. All right, go for it. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. This is the one and only V, the Grill Economist, and we are here. We are here, we are here, we are here with the one and only Charles Hugh Smith of Two Minds Blog. The man, the myth, the legend, the one in whom the volcanoes of Hawaii could not deter him, could not stop him. That's right. The man himself. Charles, how are you, buddy? Hey, good, V. Yeah, and also throw in the Hurricane Olivia that uh, swept over the islands a couple days ago. <laughs> so we've had our share of stuff, but luckily it's not like, uh, you know, Florence-level uh, damage. Yeah, well, you know, I don't I don't think, uh, you know, I don't even know exactly what's going on with Florence, quite, to be quite exact. You know, I don't know if uh, Florence um, is um, as bad or as worse. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Siege, do you know? I don't. That was the one that hit the islands. I know that was the one. Uh, uh, Olivia hit the islands, and okay. then Florence is the one that trashed the Carolinas. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, the Carolinas. The guy, the North Carolina guy hit the heaviest, and apparently their levees and everything else are at risk uh, due to the rising water. But that's that's all I know, and obviously lots of electricity outage right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, V, what's um what's been um going on in your wild and woolly world in terms of um. Uh, being a rogue, uh, uh, I would say not just a rogue, but a pirate economist. <laughs> I mean, lots of things are going on. I, uh, I mean, where do I, uh, <clears throat> where do I even begin? You know, and um, you know, my whole thing is, uh, it's, it's, it's so many things are going on, and um, Syria, uh, Venezuela. Middle East, Europe, all of it is just gone haywire, man. You know, it really has gone haywire. Well, let's talk about the huge divergence between the bubble here in the United States, which is impervious, right? I mean, real estate, right. bonds, unstoppable bubble, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, and and yet the rest of the world is is obviously under a lot of uh, financial, economic, social stress. And so, yeah, how, how long is that going to last, that divergence, where we live in a bubble? I mean, we live in a bubble, a double bubble, right? We live in a bubble psychologically, like, oh, we're impervious, you know, um, nothing can happen to us. Our economy is totally separated from the world. It's all like, huh? <laughs> isn't, isn't globalization mean that all the economies are connected? Anyways, uh, yeah, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that divergence, which is really so obvious, even the investment banks are starting to you know raise red flags about it yeah you, you know it's it, the the situation has gotten real crazy to the point where it's i don't even think it's ignorable they can't even ignore it anymore um and i'm th and, and i'm really like getting to the point where you know we've gotten to the level of such insanity that you know now the global conditions are with the situations with Trump, uh, with what's happening here, nationalistic movements around the world, 
They have an incentive to crash it, it seems. They have an incentive to crash it because this way they can defer blame from themselves and put blame on uh, you know nationalistic movements and, and disruptions and and then again try to ratchet up more control and uh, and centralize more control for themselves. Right. It's always good to ask um, you know to whose benefit is this whole thing happening, <clears throat> and um, you know obviously the core to me the core issue here of what's unraveling is um, too much debt. Right. It was too easy to borrow huge sums of money around the world for the last decade, right? And so some of that money got borrowed in dollars, some of it in yen, some of it in yuan, some of it in euros, whatever. And, uh, but it was just too much. Too much was, you know, credit was so easy that, um, you know, people like say in Ecuador, could, you know, enterprises could, or developers could go borrow a bunch of money for putting up condos and Starbucks and whatever that, that really didn't relate to the, the the local economy so much, right? It was just another bubble mentality. Like, let me just develop some kind of thing that I can offload to some um, global investors, right? And then that that I think is what globalization has done is it's globalized access to to dirt cheap credit, and a lot of the problems apparently are stemming from the fact that that credit was available denominated in dollars, and you know the dollar was weak for much of the you know. Uh, period around uh, 2010 to 2013 or whatever. And so it was, quote, cheap to, bor to borrow money in dollars. So then apparently like eight or nine trillion dollars was borrowed in dollars. And of course, banks and, and financiers love to lend money. They don't uh, because that's that's the easiest uh, income source possible, right? You just you create you borrow money from the central bank at one percent or less, then you lend it to somebody else for four, five, six percent, and it's like the easiest money in the on, on earth. I mean, hey, if you and I and CJ could each borrow a billion dollars at a tenth of one percent, that, that's the that's the easiest scam running, right? We lend it out for three or four percent, and it's like we're golden. So, anyways, that's I think one of the engines that's now falling apart. Now that interest rates are going up, now that credit's tightening. A bunch of people and enterprises around the world are finding they can't roll their existing debt over and their incomes are faltering so they can't afford to service that debt. And then so what's the future? Massive defaults, massive write-offs, you know, and um, and that's going to take down the whole global financial system again. Absolutely. What are some of the things that you're seeing as uh, some uh, sticking points in this entire global uh this entire global situation here, Charles? Well, a couple of things occur to me that I'm kind of watching. One is um, the connection, and I'm not unique in this. Lots of people have written much uh, very clearly about this. Uh, the connection between energy costs and inflation, and then, then that ties into yields and interest rates, right? So right now, you know, oil's around 65, 70 bucks a barrel, right? And it's, um, it's at that sort of Goldilocks point where it's not so high that it's going to trigger a global recession, um, which is the inevitable result, by the way. Every time oil spikes, you get a global recession. No surprise there, right? People have to devote more of their income to paying for energy than they have less to spend on other stuff, and so you get a recession. Um, so, But it's also not cheap enough that people are saving a bunch of money on energy that they can then spend elsewhere, right? So that's why that's partly why we have such a stagnant global economy is, is energy costs are uh, substantial. And, but what will looking ahead, what happens if energy 
and oil and gas prices go up uh, like spike higher in some sort of you know geopolitical crisis or something like that, we're sort of like, to me, hanging on the edge of instability right now. So it wouldn't take much to kick the global economy into a really serious recession. And one, one prospect is higher energy costs. That would do it. Another one is a geopolitical you know, financial crisis that, that pushes interest rates higher, not just in the peripheral nations like Turkey and Argentina um, and Iran, but, um, you know, the major global economies. And then um, I don't think the central banks have the tools to deal with higher inflation because, you know, if inflation starts kicking up, they can't just drop interest rates to zero and think that's going to solve it because nobody's going to be stupid enough to buy a bond yielding one-tenth of one percent when inflation is running five or six percent. So, except central banks, of course. <laughs> exactly correct. Exactly right. You know, then that, that's the same thing that, that I'm looking here and I'm uh, looking at as well. It's just, it's a very, very fragile economy. It's a very, very fragile situation that we have. And the slightest undulation can really, you know, swing things in the wrong direction, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And that's, um, I'm working on this new book and that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on is is looking at the economy and society as a system. And, um, you know, systems are linear or nonlinear. Linear means like you put in one unit of input and you get one unit of output, basically. And a nonlinear system is you put in one, one unit of input and you get 100 units of output. And so, you know, a common example of the difference is, say you live on a, uh, in a snowy area with a, with a, you know, hilly area with a lot of snow. And so you want to carve a path, you know, to your, uh, you know, outhouse or something. And so, you, you know, you shovel one unit of snow and then the output is you get a clean path, right? But in a, in a nonlinear situation, you, you're, you're removing that little bit of snow triggers an avalanche. You know, that's a thousand times larger than the snow you removed. And that's what the financial system is like too, right? In other words, the subprime uh, mortgage uh, market that imploded in 2008 was a tiny percentage of the global financial market. The total, the whole uh, subprime mortgage market was about 500 billion, as I recall. And the global financial system was like 300 trillion. So that's a good example of, of what you're talking about is some relatively modest part of the global economy can blow up. And if things are really fragile and interlinked, uh, what they call tightly bound, you know, hyper coherent is another term for this where systems are and, and feedbacks are tightly linked, then that's how you get the butterfly flaps its wings and you get a financial hurricane. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I think though, I think there's a lot of dynamics that qualify for the butterfly. <laughs> oh yeah, there, uh, there's there's tons of them. Uh, global debt, the dollar, the situations that are in, um, you know, um, the whole world de-dollarizing. And, uh, and and Charles, would you like to speak on that? The the entire, um, you know, world that's just saying, hey, you know what? We're we're done with the dollar. We want to move on. Right. Right. Um, the uh, the whole idea here, as I understand it, and it, and it can get kind of complicated, but it's um, you know with when you have a reserve currency, and and to some degree that we have four reserve currencies in the world, you know, right? The Japanese yen, the Chinese yuan or RMB, uh, the European 
unions, euro, and the US dollar. And in each of those cases, it means that other countries um, are going to hold on to some of your currency as a reserve against their own trade imbalances or you know financial crises in their currencies. Um, and so you have to export enough money, if you will. You have to export enough of your currency so that other people you know, can, can get a hold of it and keep it as reserves. And so uh, what this um, economist Robert Triffin um, wrote about in the 60s and 70s, as I recall, is that he was explaining that in order to do that, you got to run a trade imbalance, a, tra a negative trade balance. In other words, a deficit, a trade deficit. In other words, you have to like export your money and, and, and so um, it means you, you're running a trade deficit because you're, you're getting goods and services from others and you're exporting your money in exchange. And so it's, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword because a lot of people feel that the dollar um, being a reserve currency that um, has required this huge trade imbalance uh, on, the, on the part of the United States um, has not been good for the US. And so uh, my point here is you know, Trump and uh, other people um, are talking about, well, we really need to, you know, lessen the U.S. trade deficit, right? Bring exports and imports back into balance. Well, what that does in terms of the Triffin paradox is you're actually reducing the amount of dollars that are entering the world economy to be used as reserves or to be lent out or whatever. And so part of why... Um, and again, this is kind of a theory. It's not really something that you can prove, but it sort of makes sense. Is part of why all these um, emerging markets are suffering these these currency debasements and currency crises is there's fewer dollars available for them to roll over their debt and and to acquire as 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 reserves. And so, they're tr you know once you have a debt in dollars, the fact that you can get Chinese yuan or or Japanese yen isn't going to really solve your problem. You know, you need dollars to pay off that debt. And so um, that's that's uh, an example of the kind of um, tightly bound systems that we're talking about that become very fragile is, um, you know, you got to have dollars if you've borrowed money in dollars. And so to de-dollarize, you first have to liquidate all your debts in dollars. You got to get rid of all your debts so that you don't need any dollars, right? And then, then you're free to de-dollarize. But um, apparently, there's a lot of dollar-denominated debt out there, and so um, that's part of the impediment. That's in, uh, that's part of the resistance or the barriers to people that want to get um, to totally de-dollarize. And I guess my second point here is, de-dollarization is considered by sort of the standard, conventional kind of you know status quo view is, oh, that's a disaster for the U.S. You know, we will lose our reserve currency. But in actual fact, there's the other argument is it's our, that would benefit the U.S. We'd get rid of that burden of having to run huge trade deficits, and we'd have a currency like more or less like other countries, and um, that would actually perhaps be a huge benefit to the U.S. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with that, so Charles. Bring, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> What are, what are some of the solutions that people could do or what countries could do to uh, help with this transition that's ahead? Well, I know you guys have talked about this a lot, and um, a lot of people are following the fact that Russia and China seem to be acquiring a lot of gold. And with the uh, obvious intention of um, 
perhaps backing their currency at some point with gold, or at least having reserves that um, aren't in the control of some other country, i.e. The, the US, right? I mean, if you own US debt or treasuries, then you're, you're ceding some control of, over your sovereign financial decisions to the US, right? Because if the dollar goes up or down, or, you know, it's, it's hard to roll over your the market vanishes, whatever, then, then, you know, you're going to be heavily impacted. So you want to, if you want to have autonomy, if you will, then you've got to get rid of, of all, um, you know, everything having to do with a U.S. dollar. And um, so buying gold as a substitute uh, for U.S. dollar reserves is obviously one, one um, strategy, if you will. Um, the other strategy is to sell some of your U.S. Treasuries and replace it with um, reserves of other currencies, right? So you 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 then get some euros or yen or or yuan, um, and so you'd, you'd have a basket, and then that would reduce your exposure to the dollar. And of course, this makes perfect sense, right? I mean, it's like why should one currency be so dominant and um, exert such um, undue influence over so many other currencies? And so. It makes sense for everybody involved if it's a more balanced, uh, uh, you know, portfolio of reserve currencies. So that those are two avenues yeah. that we see at work, and um, and those are positives, I think. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely. Agree. Um, of course, the my you know the wild and crazy idea, which I think I first proposed in 2012 when I first started digging around cryptocurrencies, is. If if you had a small economy, um, you could you could use Bitcoin as a reserve, you know, or other yeah. cryptos. Yeah, you definitely could if you have a tiny economy. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. It's it's an opportunity there for countries to uh, to really you know to progress to to try something different. Charles, what else is on your radar? Uh, well, you know, there's this, um, there's two big, uh, trends that you, that, you know, we see in economics in general, right. That are always in the news. Now one is universal basic income. And we've talked about that a little bit. And another one is modern monetary theory, MMT, which holds that no government, um, can go broke because they can just print their own money. And, um, that's really what we need to do is print more money or create more money, borrow it into existence and spend it on infrastructure and, and create jobs and, you know, basically ramp up our productive uh, ca capacity to 100%. And then we'd have full employment and, and prosperity and, you know, all good things in the world. Um, and, um, you know, the, both of those ideas are intuitively appealing, right? Like, well, let's just give everybody a thousand bucks a month. So um, regardless of who they are, if, if you're wealthy, then you're going to pay most of that back in taxes. If you're poor, then, you know, you'll, you'll be less poor. And um, and then with mon monetary, uh, modern monetary theory, it, it, it's appealing, right? Like, well, let's just print whatever money we need to uh, boost production and get everybody back to work and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but each one of those things is, is really flawed, you know? Um, and in terms of the modern monetary theory, there's no um, discipline in this theory that I can tell to how the money's going to be spent. So the, the adherents of, of modern monetary theory are, would be perfectly delighted to go borrow a trillion dollars and blow it on the U.S. healthcare system by, say, doing Medicare for all, 
you know, which would cost, let's say it's at least another trillion because we're already blowing like three trillion on healthcare. It's not going to be free to, to issue a bloated, you know, corrupt, wasteful, uh, profiteering system like Medicare and then give it to everybody and then it's going to be free. No, it's going to cost another trillion. So my concern with that whole theory is, wait a minute, why throw, borrow of trillions and throw that those trillions into totally corrupt and wasteful, fraudulent, uh, profiteering um, industries like higher education, like healthcare, like national defense. I mean, all these industries are just totally corrupt and wasteful and they don't even produce good results. And like our healthcare system costs twice as much as uh, per capita, you know, per person as our advanced uh, industrial society competitors, right? And so something's obviously broken with U.S. healthcare. And so when you just talk about printing another trillion and throwing it into the, a corrupt and venal, wasteful system, it's like, no, I don't think that's a solution. What we should be doing is redesigning our healthcare system from the bottom up, not like just throwing more money at it. And that's basically what the, the MMT adherents are saying is let's just throw another trillion in a corrupt, venal, profiteering higher education, let's throw another billion, a trillion into the, into the you know corrupt and profiteering you know pharmaceutical industry and and so on and so forth. You know that all these industries are cartels, and um, they're not really benefiting the nation or or the the citizenry. They're just um, skimming machines for insiders. So that's my problem with um, MMT. There's got to be a discipline as to how the money is going to be um, invested or used, right? And um, the U.S. is kind of, frankly, it's lost its ability to get anything done. I mean, you know, you, you, you want to replace the, the Bay Bridge in, in the San Francisco Bay Area between San Francisco and Oakland. It was damaged in 1989. It took like almost 20 years to rebuild the bridge. That's America for you. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, in China, that would have been done in six months. Now, maybe people would say, oh, it could have been a better design or, you know, um, we didn't all get a, a, a say in it. And, you know, there wasn't 23 layers of bureaucracy for the bridge to work through. So some stakeholders didn't get a chance to have an opinion. But on the other hand, it's like, well, then you wait 20 years to have a bridge rebuilt. And of course, it costs four times as much. And that's how things work in America now. And so uh, MMT says, well, let's just throw more trillions into that, that system. And that's going to solve our problems. And it's like, no, that's not going to solve our problems. The problem is we've forgotten how to be efficient and um, and how to serve the citizenry. So you got to solve that problem before you start throwing more trillions at it. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, you guys, you guys probably see that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all the time, brother. All the time. Charles, I want to thank you for being on, man. You're, it's always a pleasure. Uh, it's always informative. And it's always fun. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'm sorry I did most of the talking. No, no, um, we, we like that. We, we, you know, it, 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 people hear enough of me anyway, so especially on this channel. <laughs> yeah, I know, but okay, well, let's, you got to promise me that next time we, we reserve a, a, few minute for, um, a few minutes for like an anti-Tesla rant. Oh, that would be perfect, yes. <laughs> definitely do it for next month. <laughs> And Definitely. then we gotta we gotta cover the cannabis industry next time too. Okay, absolutely, one hundred percent. Lots of stuff going on there. Okay, well, thank you guys very much for having me on the program. Thank you both. Have a great day, guys. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.
Okay. Excellent. Thank was you that, so much. Okay. Was that long enough? Yeah. yeah I think we went like 25 minutes or so. So. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah, good. I, I, I hope it was, I hope I didn't ramble on too much. Oh, no, no. I think it was, I think it was perfect hearing a different dynamic. And that's why, you know, especially with the economy and, and you do a lot of uh, digging into the forensics of these numbers and what's happening. And it, it's, it's really interesting to listen to. I mean, I just, like I said, I'm just, I'm like you, I'm very concerned about how this is going to happen, especially with the emerging markets, the amount of debt that's being created uh, out of thin air. I mean, you take a look at the last federal spending and it was, gosh, record amounts. And, you know, Trump is going to be hitting a trillion dollars in, uh, in debt, you know, this year alone. So, I mean. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's all good if it was being used properly, but it's not. <laughs> we know that, you know, it's just flowing into the hands of oh, insiders. Right. And, and, yeah. And, and did you see that stock uh, buyback report that came out that listed the, uh, I think over $1 trillion has went this year into stock buybacks this year alone because that's, of the tax cuts? <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So we handed them money and then they just boosted their stock. Yep. And, and again, the, the wealth and the income disparity just, again, uh, that, that tax that was meant to provide incentives for uh, business to you know, in, invest, you know, research and development, everything, and it, it didn't happen. I mean, it did a little bit, but not to the extent that they would, they would hope. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right, CJ, well, thanks all right, so well, much. All right, very good. Will you take care of yourself and we'll catch you next month then? Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, Charles. All right, be safe. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.